welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. So I was listening to a discussion recently about the development of art within sanctuaries throughout the history in the church. And what was interestingly noted was that for the first thousand years or so, you would see that within the spaces of worship, the imagery that was painted emphasized Jesus' physical resurrection. They had creative depictions of the resurrected Christ, images that creatively captured that famous prophecy of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37 of bones gaining flesh and sinew. It was quite earthly depictions. And then somewhere in the 14th or 15th century, there was a shift in church art. A shift towards an emphasis on the angelic. An emphasis on heaven and hell. We see that in Michelangelo's famous masterpiece in the Sistine Chapel that was painted in the very beginning of the 1500s. Sure, there is maybe some resurrection there, but it's, it's that battle between heaven and hell, the eternal destiny of the soul. And so there is a shift, at least in the West. I, I don't have enough brain capacity to know a whole lot of the growth and shift in the East, but in the West, there was this kind of shift that happened as we entered into the Middle Ages from an emphasis on new creation and physical resurrection to a disembodied reality of heaven and hell and the eternal state of the soul. And the thing is, is in our modern times, this physical shift to the spiritual was heightened, at least in the West again, following the Enlightenment, the rise of individualistic rationalism in the West. And during this time of of rationalism, the blossoming of science, we became intelligent and got rid of those old superstitions such as, you know, the miracles and resurrection. As I joke continually, because we were modern people and we realized dead people don't rise. Unlike ancients that believed in that. Other than our story reveals that every Sunday of the appearances, they still struggled to believe that it happened because ancient people also did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. But we, we, because of our, our progress, we, we began in theology to shift even more to the spiritualization and the personalizing of the gospel plan, claim. Christianity became internalized and the resurrection was a symbol of hope. Jesus raised in my heart. And so now we see that even today, not always, 
But often, both conservative Christians and progressive Christians tend to minimize the physicality of our faith. The, those of our progressive brothers and sisters, kind of ironically, as progressives, are still holding on to 18th and 19th century rationalistic materialism. Rejecting the physical re- resurrection and refashioning it as simply a symbol of renewal, a symbol of hope. That the story of Easter is a story that gives you a personal experience that spurs on some type of existential resurrection. And so then the center of the faith is on teaching. Teaching of the message of love, the message of acceptance, care for others, justice. All teachings that are, are found within the gospel teachings, but it's centered on these teachings. But on conservatives, hold to a biblical teaching on the physical resurrection of Jesus, but too often just stops there. As if that was a doctrinal statement that we hold to because the Bible teaches it, but then moves on to a personalizing and spiritualizing of the rest of our faith. Like those in the Middle Ages, an emphasis on heaven and hell, asking the question, personally, if you die tonight, where will you be? Gospel presentations centered primarily and usually solely on the individual destination of the soul. We speak of our mission as soul winning. At least whenever I was a Baptist minister, that's what we spoke of our mission as. Not so much in the Anglican church. But if you notice, the center of the faith is also theological ideas and doctrinal teachings. Teachings that focus on the moral, the ethical, and the eternal state of the soul after death. But what's interesting, not only do we see it in the art, we see it in the writing and the literature, starting with the New Testament, but even in the early church fathers, that for the early Christians, the focus was very little on life after death. It was focused on what I I love how N.T. Wright says it. They were focused on life after life after death. The resurrection of all who are in Christ. As we've been talking about for the past few weeks, as we've seen in all of these different lectionary readings that go through the appearances, post-resurrection appearances of Christ, the early Christians emphasized and focused on the physical, historical resurrection of Jesus. Which for them meant that we await a resurrection like his. And as we'll see that put a focus on this idea of new creation. What we pray every Sunday, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So our passage today reiterates many of the themes that we've covered over the past few weeks. So I'm not going to go back again and walk through it. But it's interesting to note that it's these, these themes are carried over and over again. These accounts are recorded over and over again and reiterated. And you'll see some parallel and overlap. And, and that's because this is so important. One thing you need to know about ancient writing and within the, uh, the New Testament is they didn't have printer paper. Writing was very expensive, very hard, and very few could do it. They didn't waste ink on anything. And so if you're going to repeat yourself and repeat accounts that are very similar like Luke does, it's because something is being driven in. This is very, very important. But what we see in this passage is the same themes, but we also see that it seems like Jesus is doubling down, making sure that the disciples realize that his resurrection is physical. And then we see in this passage that the reality of the physical resurrection leads to a commission for mission. And so... This week, I want to do something a little different. Instead of just walking through the passage, I just want to look at this idea of the physicality of the resurrection. That material flesh and blood raised from the dead by the power of God matters. And I want to do so by giving some particular attention to Paul's reflection on the physical resurrection found in 1 Corinthians 15. But before I jump into that, just to give a little bit of a recap from our passage today. It says, on that same night, that same night is the same night that we talked about last week. This is the same night that the two on the road to Emmaus came running back into the room after encountering Jesus through the, his, his Bible study and the breaking of bread and exclaimed that Jesus is raised. And they said, yes, we know he is raised indeed. That same night, Jesus appears in the room with them with the same greeting, if you have noticed since Easter. Shalom. Peace be with you. And it's strange because they were holding hope for the resurrection, and yet, what does it record? They were startled and thought Jesus was a spirit. Modern man is not the only skeptic. Still struggling to believe, could this be true? And Jesus does again what he continually does, shows him the wounds, shows them his feet, says, touch me. Because if you touch me, it's not going to be like, like, like Slimer from Ghostbusters where you go through. Like if you touch him, it is flesh and blood. Because flesh and blood, spirit does not have flesh and blood. And I love this, is, is that then he, he, he goes even further and says, I'm hungry. Like, y'all got something to eat? And he takes some fish and he eats it. Doubling down, reemphasizing Listen, this resurrection ain't spiritual. 
You aren't having a personal existential experience of the divine. I'm right here. You can hold my hand while I eat this fish. The resurrection happened. It says if Jesus, before he knows that he is is going to depart for a moment to be at the right hand of the Father, he's saying, I need you guys. I I need to know that you know (laughs) that this that is happening is the physical resurrection because it means so much and it changes everything. And now reflecting on that emphasis that Jesus gives, I want to just look at two of the many ways that the physicality of the resurrection matters so deeply and how it changes things so extremely. The first is that physical resurrection means that what Jesus did is global, historical, and is not personal and spiritual. Which leads to the somewhat offensive reality is the physical resurrection means that Jesus is exclusively Lord of all. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 27, Paul, who is arguing uh, for the, the, the physical resurrection and that our hope is not life after death, but life after life after death, that we too would be resurrected like Christ in the end. He says that, that, but if Christ has been raised, if he is the first fruits of all who have died, if Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of all creation, he then writes, he, which is Christ, will deliver the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subject under his feet. See, if Jesus is physically raised, then Jesus is coronated and crowned as king, and he's not just king of my heart, he is king of all of creation. He is Lord of all, whether you feel him in your heart or not. He is still raised. See, if the physical resurrection is an event, it either occurred or it didn't. If it didn't, it's of no significance. If it did, then it impacts everything regardless of whether or not you believe it or not. C.S. Lewis claims that about Christianity, particularly this claim of his death and resurrection, the physical resurrection of Christ. C.S. Lewis writes, if false, it's of no importance. If true, of an infinite importance. One thing it cannot be is moderately important. (laughs) So I'm going to do something here. I'm going to put myself out on a limb. Hopefully what I'm going to say here is not controversial within our room. If it is, we need to talk afterwards. But I'm going to put myself out there and make a claim. The Holocaust happened. Yeah. Shocking. But see, the thing is, some deny it. That it's a grand conspiracy or something else. 
But see, the thing is, is others experienced it deeply. They lived through it. And so they experience it and know it, and it's changed them in a way that the Holocaust didn't change me. Because it was personal to them. But the thing is, is even if, if Holocaust denial takes hold, and there's conspiracy theorists who are writing from their mom's basement, even though they're 50, like they, as they're putting all that out there, if they take hold and it grows and it grows and it grows, even if it becomes the prominent view, it does not change the fact that the Holocaust changed the trajectory of the modern world in the West. Because it happened. And we're children of the modern West. And we like to use the language oftentimes, like, I, I don't, but like it's a, a newer thing, but the idea of like, I'm going to speak my truth. And actually it gets some of that. Like, I really dig the uh, epistemological humility, the, the idea of like, well, I, I'm not going to be so bold that everything I think I know is absolutely true. And so there's a, there's a lot of value and level of, of truth to that. But I'm, I'm going to tell you something. That if I'm standing here speaking my truth each Sunday, then I'm a narcissist and a pseudo-cult leader. But if Jesus is raised, he is the truth regardless of what we think. And if not, then maybe it's a symbol of existential hope. But if that's true, then we need to shut this down. keep to ourselves. But if he's raised, then it's something that is not just true for me. It's true for the world. There is a rise in growth in the modern age, the study of comparative religion. And the idea that if you really look, like all religions are essentially the same. All different paths to the same reality that none of us can actually know. And actually, when you remove the miraculous, when you remove the resurrection of Christ, there's a lot of truth in that. Like, the Christian ethical system is not that different than the ethical system. All of the major world religions have a sense of love the na- your neighbor and love as you love yourself. None of them celebrate rape and murder. There is a lot of similarities if you get rid of the resurrection. See, what makes our faith different is not that we have a, support, a superior moral ethic or superior you know, argument or this or that. What makes our, our faith different is that we have a historic claim that the tomb was empty. Jesus is what makes it different. And so first, if it's just a claim of personal experience, just a means of spiritual enlightenment, a philosophy, an ethical system, then we can say that the idea of Easter is a superior means for, for spiritual health and hope. We can argue and debate with others, or we can keep to our own. But the, if the claim of historic, tangible victory of Christ through the resurrection of the dead, his coronation of king, that, then in that, we could be the biggest idiot. I could be the worst debater in the world, but it doesn't matter because it's still true. 
Jesus is raised. And second, the physical resurrection means the physical creation matters. The physicality of Jesus' resurrection means that God has not abandoned the creation that he initially called good. Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits. That we do not await simply a personal spiritual existence in a disembodied heaven, but we look to a corporate physical resurrection in which all together share in Christ's bodily resurrection. We are and we will be what we are made to be. Spiritual creatures. And even after death, we will await the time when we are made that, be made that again. And it's interesting because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul argues that if we deny this aspect of our hope, not the physical resurrection of Jesus, but he says, if we deny that our hope is in our resurrection, our faith is futile. And all is in vain. We see that not only is Christ's physical resurrection the first fruits of all of us who are in him, but it's the initiation of new creation. The restoration of all that God created good. Paul, to the church in Rome, in Romans 8, makes an interesting claim. He says that that our liberation means the eventual liberation of all creation says that the resurrection means the creation will be set from its bondage of decay. He says, all creation is groaning, awaiting our adoption and the redemption of our bodies because God will be renewing all things. And this means that the physical, the here and now, the day to day, it matters. See, the thing is, is if it's only about saving souls, then everything else can go to hell because it eventually will. The physical resurrection means that God is redeeming everything so that in the light of the resurrection, in the hands of God, everything is meaningful. The resurrection, the early Christians held, centered themselves on an empty tomb a physically resurrected Christ that appeared to many and grew out of the testimony of those who actually saw him eat fish. Those who died because, willingly died and were tortured because that physical flesh and blood Jesus was standing before them and they could not deny it. And what did that lead to? We see that the early Christians, they were the first in history to create orphanages. To care for children that had nothing. The first public hospital known in the West, created by St. Basil. Christians, caring for the physical health and well-being of others. We see the creation of schools before public schooling was anything by Christians. Science rose up first by Christians who said, 
This physical stuff matters. This is God's and we can see God in it. And so we're going to understand how it works. Care for the poor, combating slavery. All of these things born out of a faith that said, our Lord raised physically. He's going to return physically. And he is restoring everything because everything is his and it is good. And my, one of my favorite saints is St. Francis of Assisi. He's a little bit crazy. Um, I think he'll be a fun guy to meet, though. He was extremely wealthy, powerful, military guy. Left it all when he became a Christian. One of my favorite stories, just as an aside of St. Francis, he hated the fame that he was building about himself. So he was one time going into a town and a ton of people were waiting to see St. Francis. And all he wanted to do was to go and meet with a few people in their home. And when, as he was coming in, he saw the crowd coming to him. So then he saw some children and on an ancient teeter-totter, picked up his robes, got on the teeter-totter and just started playing with the kids, laughing and giggling and everything else. And the people waited and like an hour went and then two hours went. And then finally, they're kind of like, this guy's crazy. And so then they just all left. And then once they left, he snuck into town. But that, that's just an aside. But one of the other crazy things about St. Francis, but maybe isn't so crazy, is that he used to preach the gospel to the animals. Yeah, he's getting crazier. But like, he used to preach it. But no, what he was, because he understood that what Paul says in Romans 8 is true. That this reality of the gospel, the good news that the tomb is empty, is, is that it is good news for all of God's creation, even if they don't understand it. That's why I love, we sing it a lot. He wrote a song that we sing today. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and sing. Because of the physical resurrection. So the ramifications of the physicality of the resurrection is it's a global reality, it's an exclusive reality, and it's a reality that means that even the small things of here and now matters. And as we see in our passage today, that leads to mission. That after he eats the fish, doubles down on the physicality of the resurrection, he then says, I have a message for you to proclaim and I'm going to send you out into the world. Finishing with 1 Corinthians 15, at the very end of Paul's brilliant exposition on the physical resurrection of Jesus, where he argues for the certainty of the resurrection, the nature of our resurrected bodies, the establishment of new creation, he finishes that dialogue by saying this, Therefore, in light of all of this, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because of resurrection, because Jesus is physically raised, we know that we have the hope of our physical resurrection. We have the hope of new creation. And he doesn't say, therefore, Hold out until all of that happens. He says, therefore, now we've got work to do. But now that work matters. He also says earlier in 15 that if no resurrection, he says, therefore, then just eat and drink because we're all going to die soon anyways. Without resurrection, he says, nothing matters. But because of the resurrection, 
everything matters. We have a message to proclaim, and it's important. It's a message to proclaim. It's not a philosophy or a personal truth or trying to prove a, a, a superior spirituality. Not something that we need to be brilliant in arguing. It's the proclamation that something happened. The tomb is empty. Jesus is raised. We have news. I love a story I had heard. I, it was on a podcast I was listening to back when I was preparing for Easter and just didn't fit the sermon there. But I thought I loved it. It was, it was somebody talking about a story that they had known in their circles of an old Episcopal priest down in the deep south. I think it was maybe Mississippi, but it was years ago. And it was, it was a prominent, like, historic Episcopal church. And on Easter... That Sunday, after, you know, all of the readings and reading of the resurrection and everything else, he stood up to preach his sermon. And when he stood up, he said, it is true. It is all true. And then sat down. I know you guys wish that I would preach a sermon like that someday. (laughs) I'm not there yet. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? So we have a message to proclaim in mission. And then we go forth and reflect resurrection, the kingdom, new creation in our everyday. And it now matters. Simple things like art, sharing good food, Caring for the poor and for the sick. Studying God's creation. It all matters. I love Johnny Cash for many reasons. But I like his one song in his like more gospel days. So heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. And what he was saying is some people are so focused on personally getting to heaven that they miss all of the need, all of the opportunities that are all around them. But I would say that because Jesus has raised the first fruits of all who will come after him, the reality of the kingdom and the new creation that is certain because that tomb was empty, I would say what we do need is more of a kingdom-minded, a new creation-minded mentality. Where our mission in our community and our service is not a moral obligation or just good deeds to win favor with others, but resurrection people trying to impart glimpses of the kingdom, snippets of what all of this will one day be because Jesus is raised physically and will return physically and will make all things new. And just as a quick teaser, it's not up to us and it's not on us. Jesus spoke of the gift that the Father was going to send. A couple of weeks, we'll probably talk a little more deeply on that in Pentecost and the reality of the sending of the Holy Spirit. But if anything, I just want to proclaim that around 30 AD, in a little obscure part of the Roman Empire located east of the Mediterranean in a nothing Middle Eastern city, a tomb was empty. The Messiah, 
the Son of God, was raised and appeared to many. Whether we like it or not, or believe it or not, it changed the world. Jesus is raised, the tomb is empty. He is victorious and he is Lord of all. He is king of all kings. All nations and rulers will fall before him. And we, by grace, are his beloved. Jesus is raised so all creation will be liberated. Jesus is raised so God has not abandoned his creatures, his creation, but will be make, is making all things new. So we have news to proclaim and work to do as ambassadors of this new kingdom that is breaking forth. Work that matters, but work that is not dependent upon us, but brought about by the one who has redeemed us, working through us and with us. My brothers and sisters, it is true. It is all true. So everything matters, and everything will be put to right. This is very, very, very good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. Mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first to the last has won my affection and bound my soul.